the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. For it says, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. Jesus, who prayed that the Lord would let this cup pass, and the Lord said, no, there's no other way. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. And descends in perfect love. Though he were a son, he never failed. He was the son of God. He never sinned. And yet, to be our example, to understand what it was like for us, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Holy fire did not relent. The Spirit of God is sanctifying us throughout our entire life. You're not going to be a finished product until the Lord calls you home. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join Senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Leviticus. God had spent the first seven chapters of Leviticus giving Moses instructions on how their offerings and sacrifices were to be conducted. We saw the burnt, the grain, the peace, the trespass, and the sin offerings. Now it is time for Aaron and his family to prepare themselves for service. Aaron and his sons were ritually cleansed and consecrated according to all the instructions that were laid out in God's law. They were told to stay in the tabernacle for seven days so that they could understand all that their ministry would entail. We join Pastor Will in Leviticus chapter 8, verse 31. 31. And Moses said unto Aaron and to his sons, Boil the flesh. That was the part of the last offering that they were going to eat now. Boil the flesh at the door, the entrance to the tabernacle of the congregation, and there eat it with the bread that is in the basket, the leftovers. Remember, a couple pieces went to God. But what's left here, he says, I want you to eat it with the bread that is in the basket of consecrations, as I commanded, saying, Aaron and his sons shall eat it. And that which remains of the flesh and of the bread, you shall burn with fire. Whatever leftovers you have, don't save it, burn it with fire. And you shall not go out of the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. You don't go home after you get done eating. In fact, you're going to stay here at the entrance for seven days until the days of your consecration be at an end. For seven days shall he consecrate you. For seven days, Moses tells him, you're going to, tonight you're going to eat the meal that we've prepared. You're going to eat the meat and the bread. When you're done, you're going to burn the leftovers and then you're going to hang out here for seven days. Everybody else is going to go home, but you're going to hang out here at the tabernacle for seven days. And he says to them, verse 34, as he has done this day, so the Lord is commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore, shall you abide at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation day and night, seven days, and you're going to keep the charge of the Lord that you die not, for so I am commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all things which the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses. This has always fascinated me, this whole section here because all the people go home to their tents Moses goes home to his tent and Aaron's just hanging out there camping in the tabernacle with his sons and Jesus hanging out with the Lord for seven days why would God have them do that well Moses says so that you might keep the charge of the Lord the word there keep the charge means to observe the function that you're about to have 
This is how your new life is going to be. Aaron and his sons had to stay here for seven straight days that they would realize that this is what their life was now. And thus God's calling must be their passion seven days a week. It's funny, I saw Family Circle or something like that, the article, it's got the whole family and whatever. It's a comic, not article. And it had the kid and he was at church and you could see he was talking to the pastor and he says to him, so what do you do the other six days of the week? (laughs) And I I have people ask me that sometimes. What do you do? What is your job like? You get up and teach on Sunday and you just kind of stay home all the rest of the week. I say, oh, yeah, I got a cot in the back. You know, my wife makes me tea and whatever, and I just hang out. I tell people, say, oh, I feel like maybe God's called me to the ministry. And I say, do you understand what that means? That's 24-7. You're never off, technically. I set a family day where I'm not really available for anything else. But if someone's in the hospital, I'm probably going to go visit them. It's 24-7. There are times when you get a call and somebody needs you right then and there. Yes, sometimes they always don't need you right then and there and you don't go, but sometimes you need to go. This was going to be their life. And so they're going to hang out with the Lord for seven days. Sometimes that life gets lonely and you need to rely upon your relationship with the Lord to sustain you. You can't worry about all the crowds because we're going to have a pretty cool moment at the end of chapter 9. We're going to have an awesome cool moment where for Aaron and his sons, they're going to feel like rock stars. They're going to be like... Wow, look at what we're a part of. Look at what we get to do. This is awesome. And there are moments as you're serving God, if you've ever been involved in any type of ministry where it's like that, where you're serving the Lord and it just seems like God's moving left and right. And you're like, this is awesome. And then there's other days where you're like, Ugh, what am I doing? I don't get it, God. I don't feel like I'm making any impact. I don't see your hand moving in any way. And no one is giving you a pat on the back saying, good job. You have to be able to learn to be content with the Lord in the stillness and in the silence without the crowds of people there. You have to be comfortable just being able to sit at his feet and to say, Lord, it's just you and me, and I'm okay with that. To rest in his presence, to fellowship with him in that loneliness, and that be the solution for loneliness. I would say serving the Lord, there's no such thing as burnout. There's only being burned up. I don't believe in burnout. When I say that, it's not that people don't get burned out. I've been there. But the cause of burnout is not because, well, you've just been serving Jesus too much. <laughs> like, like that's a side effect, you know? It's like one of those commercials, you know, beware, this medication is going to kill you. It's not like, serve Jesus, or you're going to burn out every once in a while. No, no. You let him consume you. You let him live through you. He burns you up, and that's great. He always gives the energy that's needed, even when you're tired, even when you're exhausted, even when you're not feeling it, even when you're not feeling very spiritual. He provides what's necessary because it's his spirit that does the work. But if you get in the flesh and you're doing it in your own strength, oh yeah, that's when burnout occurs. That can occur in any level of ministry. But they're going to be there to learn to be dependent upon him. I don't know if anybody brought him food. It doesn't give us any indication at all. Can you imagine what it was like? Okay, well, listen and get the instructions. And we're going to eat it. Awesome. Have a big, huge feast with the Lord tonight. Great. And then burn the leftovers? Stay for six more days? Who's bringing us food tomorrow? I mean, that would be my first thought. I don't know. But could you imagine that night after they have the feast? It'd be like, Aaron, probably, I'd be with my boys. I'd be like, eat up. You're going to last. <laughs> it's going to last. But then you're going to have to depend upon the Lord to sustain you for those six days. There's going to be times when they're going to be tired. Aaron's going to be picking up the animal skin and slinging some intestines over his shoulder and whatever else. And he's going to be picking it up and going outside into the camp. And he's probably going to be thinking, what am I doing? I'd like to go home. He's going to see somebody coming up over that hill as the sun's about to go down. They're dragging this stubborn old animal behind him. And he's going to think, if I hide, he might think we're closed. He's going to have to learn that the Lord will sustain him in those lonely hours and those late nights. In the moments when he's hungry, him and his sons and all of their descendants, in this week with the Lord, they're going to learn to be dependent upon him. 
Their lives belong to him now. Jesus, it's fascinating when he takes the 12 disciples, what does he do with them frequently? It says he retreated with them, right? He took them away to a mountain. Did this frequently because he wanted them just to have time with him, time of quiet with him, time of getting away with him to be recharged in him so they could go back down and minister to the people because it was exhausting. Chapter nine, a week goes by, verse one. And it came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. They hadn't seen a person probably during these days except the Lord. The eighth day comes and Moses calls Aaron and his sons and then he calls the leaders of Israel. And he said unto Aaron, take you a young calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And unto the children of Israel, you shall speak saying, take you a kid of the goats for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish for a burnt offering and also a bullock and a ram for peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mingled with oil for today the Lord will appear unto you. Even though he's only talking to the leadership, in a sense, he's talking to all of Israel because they represent all of Israel. The elders there are those who had authority from each tribe. So he summons Aaron and his sons. All right, you're done with your week-long vacation with Jesus. And then these leaders, he calls them in. And he says, Aaron, here's what you need to do. You need to get a young calf for a sin offering, verse two, and a ram for a burnt offering. This would be the offering that they would do every single morning and every single evening. Every evening, every morning at 6 6 a.m. and 6 p.m., this was the daily sacrifice. Now, because the tabernacle won't be in use yet today, it's this offering is gonna be described as for Aaron and his sons since they're the ones who are gonna be working there. And then for the rest of Israel, He's going to have this initial consecration offering. It's going to be a sin offering, a burnt offering, and a peace offering as well. So two for Aaron, which will symbolize the daily sacrifice, and then three for the entire nation to kind of constitute this whole thing. So, and do you notice here too that it mentions that he says to Aaron, verse three, and unto the children of Israel, you shall speak. So who's the one who's going to be instructing the people now? Aaron, right? So Aaron, you've spent your time with the Lord. You're ready. You've been consecrated. Now it's time to get to work. You're going to do the offering for yourself and your sons, but then you're going to tell the nation of Israel what they need to do. You need to begin to lead them and be a spiritual leader. I imagine that must have been interesting for Aaron because the last time he had been a leader, what had happened? Didn't turn out so well, did it? They called him and said, listen, man, this Moses dude, he's up there and that mountain is rumbling. We see fire and smoke and lightning. We're pretty sure he's dead. We need to do something, Aaron. What do you, what do you, you're our leader. What do you want us to do? And he crumbled under the pressure and he said, oh, well, you guys think we should make some gods, right? Yeah, let's make some new gods so we can calm down the people. And he said, okay, let's do that. Not a very good spiritual leader. So this is going to be a new adventure for Aaron. He's going to have to lead spiritually now and he's going to need to get it right this time. So verse five, they brought that which Moses commanded before the tabernacle of the congregation and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. So now the whole congregation is here again, the whole crowd, all two million people. And Moses explained to them, this is a thing which the Lord commanded that you should do and the glory of the Lord shall appear unto you. So the first sacrifice for the daily offering, the first sacrifices for the nation are made. And Moses explains, we're doing this today because this is what God told us to do. And when we're obedient, he says, the glory of the Lord is going to appear or present himself to you. God's glory is going to be presented to you in a very clear and manifest way. Verse seven, and Moses said unto Aaron, go unto the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make an atonement for yourself and for the people. 
and offer the offerings of the people and make an atonement for them as the Lord commanded. I love this here because God instituted sacrifice so that his chosen people might, in spite of their innate sinfulness, have access through atonement to him as the holy God. And, and that he might dwell among them and be their God. He has them go through this whole process, and then he's going to confirm to them that he's accepted it. He's going to reveal his glory to them in a way to show, I had you go through this, and I'm showing you that I've accepted it, that you can indeed come to me. See, here we see the wonderful condescension and the mercy of God, that he not only allows an atonement to be made, but he commands us to do so. And then not only does he admit us to do so, but he requires us to be reconciled to him. No room, therefore, is left to doubt, but that the atonement which is commanded, it will be accepted by him. And that's where Jesus said the same thing. He said, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I might give you rest. Is that what he said? He said, I will give you rest for your souls. He promises, he who comes to me, I will what? In no wise cast out, right? So we can have this confidence. God gives them this confidence even before the offering's brought that he's going to accept it and he's going to reveal himself in the same way that we can know that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The enemy is gonna tell you what? And he does it all the time. God's not gonna forgive you this time, right? Not this time. This is like the 834th time you've blown it this way. And God's fed up with it. It's not what the Bible says. God gives them the promise that he's gonna accept their offering even though he's the one that he commands for them to bring it. All they had to do is trust him by faith and do what he said. Verse eight, here we go. So Aaron therefore went unto the altar and he slew the calf of the sin offering which was for himself. And the sons of Aaron brought the blood unto him and he dipped his finger in the blood and put it upon the horns of the altar and poured out the blood at the bottom of the altar. Now, The daily offering would normally be a goat or a lamb. This time, though, it's a calf. Do you know that this is the only time in Scripture that a calf is used for sacrifice? Only time. I find that fascinating because since Adam had sinned previously by making what? A golden calf, right? And it makes mention here that he slew the calf of the sin offering, which was for who? Himself. How ironic that he now offered as his first sin offering a calf as if to atone for that sin. It's almost like the Lord's saying, Aaron, I know what you did, but I forgive you. It's all clean. I accept your service. Verse 10, but the fat and the kidneys and the call above the liver of the sin offering, he burnt that upon the altar as the Lord commanded Moses. But the flesh and the hide, he took it outside the camp and burnt it with fire out there. Then verse 12, he slew the burnt offering. And Aaron's son presented unto him the blood, which he sprinkled round about upon the altar. They would do this every morning and every evening at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. And they presented the burnt offering unto him with the pieces thereof and the head, and he burnt them all upon the altar. And he did wash the inwards and the legs and burnt them upon the burnt offering on the altar. Verse 15, now he brings the offerings for the people. And he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering for the people. And he slew it and offered it for sin, just like the first, took everything that wasn't to be offered outside the camp and burnt it there. And then verse 16, he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the same manner. And he brought the grain offering that symbolized their service to God. And he took a handful thereof, like we learned in Leviticus 2, burnt it upon the altar right next to the burnt sacrifice of the morning. And then he slew also the bullock and the ram for a sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons presented on him the blood. They would catch it in a container. 
And then he took it and he sprinkled it upon the altar round about. And the fat of the bullock and of the ram, the rump, and that which covered the inwards and the kidneys and the call above the liver. They took that best part and they put the fat upon the breasts and he burnt the fat upon the altar. That was God's portion. And then the breasts and the right shoulder, Aaron waved for a wave offering before the Lord as Moses commanded. That was their portion to eat. In verse 22, here we see the culmination after they obey the Lord with these offerings. And Aaron, when he was done, it says he lifted up his hand toward the people. I mean, what a special moment this was. Everything's getting started. He lifted up his hand toward the people and he blessed them. And remember what the last time his hand was doing? It says he ripped off their earrings and whatnot. You know, he was not a blessing to them at all. He was a curse. But now he lifts up his hand toward the people and he blessed them. And he came down from offering of the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron, they went into the tabernacle of the congregation, and they came out, and they blessed, sorry, I lost my spot, blessed the people, uh, they blessed the people. So what a beautiful moment here where Aaron and Moses, they come out, and everybody's just excited, yay, you know, we've done this. And into this excitement, look at what happens. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the people. Now, at the end of Exodus, we saw that the cloud that had been over a tent outside the camp now all of a sudden came off the mountain and off there and resided upon the tabernacle. So much so that they had to get out of the tabernacle. But before that happens, look what here we get more details of specifically what happened here. This is in the eyes of all the people to see. And there came a fire out from before the Lord. So this cloudy presence of the Lord, a fire shot out from that presence and it consumed upon the altar, the burnt offering and the fat, which when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces. Can you imagine that church service? Seriously, you know? We're going to try it next. No, we're not. <laughs> that strange fire, which we'll learn about in a couple of weeks. That's no bueno. <laughs> okay. We don't want any strange fire. This is the Lord's fire, straight from him. Here it mentions that as a coming out from before the Lord or the presence of God, that's where the before there. From the presence of God, there came out this flame of fire, it says. And it, it, it consumed, it came down upon the altar and whoosh, you know, it just consumed everything upon the altar, just gone, you know, completely cooked and, and done away with. And when the people, it says, they saw it, so they shouted. The word there means to give a, a ringing cry and joy and exultation. It means to sing. They just began to shout and worship the Lord. And then they fell on their faces. They prostrated themselves in worship before God. And the chapter ends there. What an amazing time in Israel's history. This action here shows God's acceptance of what they've done in two ways. First off, as fire is a symbol of God's wrath, God is a consuming fire. It signified the turning away of God's wrath from them. This fire might have justly fastened upon the people and consumed them for their sins, but it fastens not upon them. It fastens upon the sacrifice. And consuming that, it signifies God's acceptance of those sacrifices as atonement for the sinner. He gives them forgiveness. He accepts their service. He accepts their worship. He accepts them as his people. But number two, it signified God entering into the covenant and communion that he promised with them. They ate their part of the sacrifice and the fire of the Lord ate up his. And to the Jewish person, the Middle Eastern person, the idea of you sharing a meal with someone together, the idea was you were becoming one with them. 
You would never just invite anyone over for a meal. They would take the food and they'd pass it around. It wasn't like today where somebody brings you a plate or you have potluck or whatever. You would do it like you probably did it at the Thanksgiving. Pass the yams, pass the this, pass the that. But you'd pass it around and you'd have a portion. But oftentimes it would be from one big portion. So you'd break off some, some bread or you'd break off some meat or they'd pass the cup around and you'd take a swig and pass it to the next person. And the idea behind that was is the same food and drink that's nourishing me is going into your body. And so there's a sense where we're being unified, you're becoming one in that. And so here we are, God and his people, entering into that most intimate fellowship together. What a powerful moment. But before we close today, I did want to leave you with a few thoughts. First off, Jesus is our mediator. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He is our mediator. But in Hebrews chapter 5, if you want to turn there again, it, it talks about what Jesus did. I've touched on it a little bit already. Verse 1, For every priest taken from among men. In other words, they understand our struggles because they're not taken from some alien group or some angelic group. They're taken from among men. And they're ordained for men, in other words, to do something for men, in things that pertain to God. What is it? That he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. But because he's from among men, he can have compassion on the ignorant and on them that are out of the way. In other words, those who make failures, you know, they make mistakes. And those who know exactly what they're doing is wrong, but they do it anyway. He can have compassion on either one because he himself, it says, he's surrounded with weakness himself. He's got his own struggles he deals with. And by reason hereof, he ought as for the people, so also for himself to offer for sins. And no one would take this honor unto himself like Uzziah did, but he that is called of God as was Aaron. In that same way, Jesus became a man, lived among us. And he did not glorify himself to be made high priest. But he that said unto him, thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. That's a quote from Psalm, not 110. It's a, yes, it is. I'm sorry. No, it's from Psalm 2.7. Where the Lord called Jesus to this task. As Psalm 110 says in verse six, and he said also in another place, you are a priest forever, not after the order of Aaron, but a better order, the order of Melchizedek, which we don't have time to get into tonight. But now it mentions referring Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he became a man, could sympathize with our weakness. It explains how he could. For it says, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him that was able to save him from death, he was heard in that he feared. Jesus who prayed that the Lord would let this cup pass. And the Lord said, no, there's no other way. Jesus submitted himself to the Father. Though he were a son, he didn't, he never failed. He was the son of God. He never sinned. And yet to be our example, to understand what it was like for us, he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, the word perfect just means complete, finishing the task that God gave to him, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him. So if you have a problem, where do you go? You go to Jesus, right? Because he can help you. He knows. He's your captain. One other thought, or a couple thoughts in this thought. There were five requirements for the priest to go through before he could serve the Lord. He had to take a bath with water, right? Cleanse with water. He had to be clothed with holy garments. He had to make a sacrifice for sin. He had to be anointed with oil. And then he had to spend seven days with the Lord. Well, the Bible says we're a kingdom of priests, We've got a sacrifice for sin, right? Christ is our atonement. We've been accepted because of the cross and our faith in the cross. We've been cleansed with water. The Bible says that forgiveness and cleansing are found in the blood of Jesus and then daily cleansing through his word, right? We've been clothed with holy garments. The Bible says that we are justified in the righteousness of Christ and we're clothed in white, the righteousness of the saints. And then anointing oil. 
God has given us his spirit, right? He's given us his spirit to do the task, to set us apart for God's use. And the seven days of separation. Seven is the number of completion. And this speaks of how the spirit of God is sanctifying us throughout our entire life. You're not gonna be a finished product until the Lord calls you home or he returns. Our lives are symbolized in that seven days of separation to the Lord, of just standing in his presence, that throughout our lives, we're to sit at his feet, fellowship with him, get to know him better, have him be our all in all until the end of our days. Because remember, there were two purposes for that seven-day period. Number one, it was to fellowship with God and eat the offering there in front of him. And then they might realize that this was their life, that their old life was dead, their new life was in him. You know, God calls us to a place of service to him. We're all priests. None of us get to stand on the sidelines. We all have a job to do. We all have a place in the body of Christ. We all are called to make disciples and and to go out and be a witness to the world. And so, you know, as we reflect on these passages, which, you know, don't specifically apply to us because we don't have a tabernacle. The church isn't our temple. We're the temple of the Holy Spirit that we have a job to do and we need to be faithful to do it. Amen? All right, let's all stand and pray. Lord, as your people, we are so blessed to have you. You've called us to this amazing calling, priests. You said, for you are a royal priesthood, a a holy nation, you know, a chosen generation who is called out of darkness into your marvelous light. Lord, who were not a people, but now are a people. Lord, the world doesn't recognize us as a people. And yet, Lord, we are part of your kingdom. And so we want to be faithful ambassadors for you. Faithful priests, Lord, to represent you to the people and to represent the people to you. Help us to take up that task, Lord, to sit at your feet daily and then to go out into a world that needs to hear your awesome truth and your awesome grace. Fill us with your spirit, Lord, that we might do so until our dying day where you should return. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Jesus is our mediator, our go-between us and God. He gives us a way to commune with God, to have an intimate relationship with God, in a better way than any other priest. We no longer have to continue offering sacrifices for our sins, but enter God's presence through Christ, by grace and faith, knowing we will not be turned away. We are accepted by God, through Jesus. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.